0: Hey
1: and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always
0: by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, we got another Bearcat football victory under our belt. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, especially because it seems everywhere: ESPN, the AP, coaches the All-State foot predictor, they all, all rewarded Cincinnati's hard-fought victory with a with shooting up in the polls. I mean, was it, oh, no, oh, oh.
1: Sad trombone. Insert sound. sad trombone. Uh, sound effect, I'll make a note there. Homer, you're right. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan. Cincinnati Bearcat, it's always a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat. But, man, is it hard in these streets to get some goddamn respect on our name. The Cincinnati Bearcats beat Houston 38-10 this past weekend. A 28-point victory over a solid football team on the road. Another team that has been great offensively held them to 10 points. And like you said, the Bearcats went down in the polls, now ranked seventh in the coaches' poll Hummer, what are your initial thoughts?
0: My initial thoughts are while I'm, I'm kind of angry, it wasn't unexpected. At least BYU still isn't above us in the AP and coaches poll. However, they did actually pass us in the percentage of likelihood to make the playoffs. But what I will note is that that percentage is still so low for them and us, unfortunately that there is almost zero chance that we are getting into the football college playoffs and, and my first thought about that is that it's an indictment on the system of college football itself. You know, I am kind of think, sitting here thinking like every year that the college football playoffs, the way they're currently structured is not good for football as a whole, because it limits the teams to the same teams every year. We always know Alabama is going to be considered for the playoffs. Ohio State's going to be considered for the playoffs. Clemson is now always considered a, a lock for the playoffs. We're basically fighting over the whole of college football, the big 12, the pack 12, and not even the group of five because there's already two big two big conferences fighting over it, the four spot, and, and and for that it makes college football as a whole I think weaker. By contrast, looking at the basket basketball. With a 64, 68 team NCAA tournament field, there's so much more inclusion that there's so much more value in watching some of these you know, little, littler schools or smaller to smaller conferences play. Going into their conference championship weekends, always huge. It's always a big deal to watch these smaller conferences play. You don't get that with football. You don't get to care. Like, look, Liberty's having a great season, 7 and 0, ranked 22 in the nation. No one cares.
1: Nobody cares about Liberty in general, Hummer. Okay. I'm I'm not going to, I'm not begging for Liberty to get more coverage. I think you're pointing out a key difference between the two sports. College basketball thrives on the chaos. Every March, they love the chaos. Fans love the chaos. It's what the sport is built upon. In football, they don't want chaos at all. Their system is set up with a four team playoff so that. They know the teams that are going to be there every year. They know they're going to draw the ratings. They know it's going to be the biggest programs in the country. Look, Hummer, we spent the last few weeks talking about the Bearcats competing and being a candidate for that fourth and final playoff spot. That's because three of those spots are already reserved. Those three spots are reserved for Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. Are they the three premier programs in college football? Absolutely. But it's a foregone conclusion they're going to be there. Now, with Notre Dame upsetting, and I'm putting "upsetting" in air quotes, her because Notre Dame upset Clemson this past weekend on their home field, with Trevor Lawrence out because of a COVID infection.
0: Well, wasn't it just Trevor Lawrence; they had they were missing key key spots on the defensive side of the ball as well. Sure, at, sure, due, sure. Due to
1: COVID, but, but Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence, right? The premier college right. football pr- player in the country. Him and Justin Fields; he's he's likely to be the number one draft pick. He misses this game. Notre Dame pulls off the upset and double overtime. How did their fans celebrate by storming the field all, but ensuring their team has a COVID outbreak. What is going on?
0: Um, look, you, everybody who's listening to this podcast knows our feelings on COVID. So I'm not going to get into the safety of COVID. What I am going to get into is the awesomeness, I guess, of the, of the, the general vibe in, in South Bend, Indiana. Um, they're willing to risk a national championship season for a rushing of the game, rushing of the field. And you know what? Not for nothing, Notre Dame has a storied history. It's not like they haven't done this before. You're the fourth ranked team in the country, Hummer. It's embarrassing. Act like, you've, embarrassing. Been Act like you've been there. Pull yourselves together, South
1: Ben. <laughs> Good Lord. I couldn't believe it. Honestly, your team, your team is in the fortuitous situation of having a leg up on Clemson Clemson, they came to your house. You're temporarily in the America the uh, ACC. You upset them, but granted, it's a four verse one. You've upset them, and you celebrate by by ushering in a mass chaos into the field, surrounding your players with students who may or may not have COVID. It's not even how you feel about COVID doesn't matter at all. Because there are COVID protocols in place that if those players are infected, it could negatively impact their season going forward. Just remarkable to me. A, a remarkable instance of, of a, a blissful ignorance, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, that all being aside, like I said, I still think it's a shame. I think it's a shame that the playoffs stop at four teams. And I know everybody always says, all right, well, if you expand it, then you're just going to have the same problem when you get down to number nine, 10, 11, and 12. Great. I want to see some chaos in that eight spot because once you start getting down towards the bottom of the, of the top 10, there is a little more parity between the elites and then the not so elites you drop off from the four spot and you have some serious competition for some teams who are, are deserving or are, are an even better conversation of an argument of who gets that eighth, seventh, eighth spot. You know, right now, Cincinnati, BYU, Miami, Indiana, if you really want to count them. I don't really want to. <laughs> but but my point is you get to have more fun with that, and it expands it to a, a greater audience uh, of teams that have the ability to get into it. So it's not just the same fans watching every time. And I know you, I, you made the argument earlier. Well, some fans just say they want to see the best of the best playing in college football. That is what the top 10 is. That is the best of the best. Include more teams get more of the best in there because at the same, at the end of the day, why am I watching Ohio state beat up on Alabama again, or get beat by Alabama again, or any combination of somehow a win happens between one of those two teams. Frankly, we don't care anymore. We want to see more teams in this, in this event, because it's better for the sport as a whole. They're not, they
1: don't lose interest from it though. And, and I think they must look at it from a big picture standpoint of this is how it works. We like getting our premier programs in the college football playoff. And, and they don't pay much mind to group of five programs. Uh, we got in Let me say, let me, let me Whoa. quote someone though, Hummer who, who okay. wrote us on Twitter. Let's uh, Austin on Twitter wrote us um, any interesting thoughts. And I just want to have both of us react to them. He said, as I try to convince myself that our cats could be in the playoff, I keep coming to the same conclusion. If the committee ever had any plans of giving a group of five team a shot at the playoff, they wouldn't have given that group of five, team, they wouldn't have given the group of five that quote free pass to the New York six bowl. It feels to me like a way of saying, maybe this will shut them up by guaranteeing the group of five fans, a possibility at an NY six. Unfortunately, it's becoming clear to me that the NY six is what we are able to play ourselves into and what Bama he says, et cetera, but Bama Clemson, Ohio state have to play themselves out of, or essentially being their worst case scenario. And I think he hits, that's the end of Austin's tweets. We appreciate the feedback on Twitter. It's, it's life of a G5 program, Hummer. We have to figure out a way of enjoying the journey because he's dead on right. For us to make a college football playoff, everything would have to go right. And then three programs would have to be blown out of the water at the end of the season uh, based on college football infractions. I mean, frankly, it's just impossible based on how the system is currently constructed. They well, don't want to see year. programs. I'm going gonna,
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna to argue with it this year. This year, I think it is it is impossible.
1: I think it's actually more possible this year, given COVID, than it ever has been possible.
0: Well, I, I think we're going to see some... This is all depending on a lot of ifs, ifs, and this is where we do get to enjoy the journey. I read, I, I this was Mo Egger on The Athletic, wrote a really good article this week about uh, basically how we can enjoy it and how this is different than when Brian Kelly was here. Brian Kelly, we knew... We knew, we knew the whole season had this cloud over it of where's Brian Kelly going to go. And in fact, we weren't even, we knew where he was going to go. We knew. And on the very first game is Brian Kelly's going to Notre Dame at the end of the season. We knew it. There was this cloud. Hey, this year we do not have that cloud right like, for all the stuff of Michigan talking and Harbaugh getting fired. There's it's not a foregone conclusion that fickle is leaving to go to Michigan. There's, there's not a whole, you know, I mean, it's just not, it's not a foregone conclusion. If we see Fickle actually stay, we see the recruits that we're bringing in, we're continuing to bring in, we're getting more momentum. Incredible, right? So all of a sudden, if we get these recruiting classes that start getting national recognition as a top five, or sorry, top five, I'm being a little ambitious here, but, you know, top 25, top 15, top 10 recruiting classes in the country for football all of a sudden that starts getting Cincinnati into that top 15 into that top 10 right at the beginning of the season now all of a sudden i think we have a real legitimate shot because we're getting that 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 respect up front it's hard to get that respect up front when you're not starting in that spot that you need to you know and in starting seven it, it it does put you behind because you need Alabama like you just mentioned Notre Dame Ohio State you need them not only to lose one game you need them to lose two Like that's, that's, that's the reality of the situation. We need Clemson to lose two games now. And if they do, they're probably still going to get the Trevor Lawrence pass because of COVID. But what I like about if they expanded the playoffs right now, you're talking about getting these marquee, your, your primetime programs into the playoffs, Miami university storied football program, sitting right outside the wings at number nine, waiting, waiting for their chance at an expanded playoff. Boom. Now you got another big name in there. You get Florida, another big name in there. You're getting. You have more opportunity to get more big names and have more of these key key matchups. Come on, we all love money. This is I how think, they can make
1: more dough. No, I, I think you're right. I think there is a chance in the future they expand it to an 18 playoff. And if we could find a way to get one of those spots being guaranteed to a G5 program, mm. Luke Fickle staying at UC is practically a guarantee at that point. Cincinnati will compete for that spot year in year out, given what Luke Fickle's doing. And you made a great point, and I think you referenced Moegers' article. This does feel different. There's only excitement around the program right now. And I I don't think we can let the playoff conversation distract us from how amazing this season has been. It's unfortunate. And I thought this watching the game, uh, even though this was at Houston, but you're, you're watching these games and these home games and, and the type of team we have, this would be an unbelievable crowd at Nippert stadium. I mean, the way this defense plays football, the way, how exciting our team is, Desmond Ritter scrambling, running for touchdowns.
0: What game was at home?
1: Was this game at home? Yeah. Okay, it was at home. So it, I was thinking that
0: the right, I wasn't daydreaming. Hey, you know what? Houston you couldn't men. tell. Well, the you only way you could tell. tell is Houston may have had fans.
1: No, I knew, I knew there was a reason <laughs> I was picturing Nippert being full. That, that's the thing, though. So I'm watching this game daydreaming about this should be Nippert night. This should be Nippert load packed to the brim with fans going crazy, about what Luke Fickle has built here in Cincinnati. We can still appreciate it. I'm still going to enjoy the ride. Um, it's a, it's clearly an uphill battle in terms of getting in the playoff, but I don't think that's going to dictate whether or not the season's a success. First and foremost, win the American Athletic Conference. Luke Fickle hasn't done that yet. We're well on our way to doing that this season. And then after that, look, NY6, that's a success, period. Going undefeated, that's a success. All we have to do is keep supporting this team keep backing up this team. And frankly, it is our job as a fan base to go crazy and make noise toward these, the college football establishment and saying, Hey, look at us, give us a chance. This team plays defense. This team has talent. Give us a shot at that college football playoff.
0: Now let's also appreciate one more thing though, because I've been complaining about this all year. I I hate how college football starts at noon. And that's just because I'm an old man who wants to go to home Depot on a Saturday. We had a 3:30 start today. Mwah. Beautiful. Uh, on Saturday, we have a 7:30 start against ECU on Saturday. Mwah. Beautiful. UCF moved 3:30 30 primetime game. Love it. Uh, I'm loving that, that we're actually getting more games in the primetime spotlight. Um, uh, I think that that at least is a little a little consolation prize because it makes it more fun for us if we get a chance to enjoy it. Look, this weekend we're going to absolutely a hundred percent, without a doubt, destroy. I've already guaranteed you a a uh, undefeated season, but I'm just dest- we're destroying ECU. It's going to be utter chaos. They're just going to like if this is a team that's going to get um, shut out. This is a game that, that that's going to be a shutout. This will be the one. Uh, and I get to have a few beers beforehand after I have a productive day. I'm going to love it.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy add- this
0: ride. I'm enjoying the ride, baby.
1: <laughs> it's it's a podcast full of, uh, of corrections because the ECU game is actually Friday night, 730, not Saturday.
0: I'm okay. It's at 730 still. <laughs> It does make a big difference, though. <laughs> it does. I just want to make
1: sure you're in front of the TV at the right time to watch us, you know, blast. We come ECU. back. We come
0: on next week, and you're just like, "So tell me about the ECU game." I'm like, what ECU game? I thought it was canceled.
1: <laughs> well, we haven't talked about the game itself against Houston, and it's somewhat intentional. So, Hummer and I, there, we could sit here and regurgitate the stats to you. We could talk about the fact that Desmond Ritter had another four touchdown game. We could talk about the fact that for the second consecutive game the Cincinnati Bearcats defense shut out their opponent in the second half. We could talk about this being the third straight game where the Cincinnati Bearcats held a prolific offense to 13 points or less. Uh, But it's just, it's, it's not worth talking about because the fact is the Bearcats are handling their business. If you think about how last season played out and every nail biter of a game, the Bearcats played, we were living and dying on every play in the second half last season. It felt like this was not a team that knew how to punish and put away their opponents. This season, quite the contrary. This team is beating down the competition in our conference. And I know some naysayers might say that's because our conference is shit. I personally think it's because we are the class of the conference. Luke Fickle has out-recruited every other program in, the, in this conference. Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman and our coaching staff have done a hell of a job developing the talent on this roster. And it's a team that's just just clicking on absolutely all cylinders right now. So while we're not getting necessarily into a recap of the play by play and and here's what got us excited and 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 Doak set a career high in rushing in the first half of the game. Well, all those things are true, and we're not just ignoring them. But what's what's more important really is is the macro picture right now. The fact that we slid down in the uh, in the standings the fact that we are disrespected by national uh, college football establishment, but the fact that it's a, it's a program that we just need to continue being excited about, continue getting behind and continue to heckle the shit out of, out of uh Kurt Herbstreet and everybody else in the national media.
0: Well said, I mean, we've talked about the schedule enough. Our schedule's not that bad. SMU top 25 team, army top 25 team, Tulsa, Memphis, they're right outside in the rankings. Each get, they're getting votes you know, in in both the coaches and the, and the AP. Um, you know, this is, it's it's not, it's not a bad schedule. The, the conference is, is the parody from the top to the bottom. It has more in the middle. It has more, more meat on the bone in the middle, um, than a lot of other conferences. We're definitely not getting that respect. We definitely got a heckle. I definitely think though, you know, the, the college football playoffs, the way that they're set up, it needs to change. Um, you know, you might say that, yes, this is great. It's great for ratings. If you have seven straight years or five straight years of just freaking Alabama, Ohio state and Clemson, it's not getting fun. It's not fun to watch the same four teams do it every year. It's really not. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry if we had to watch basketball and if basketball only had four teams that made the tournament every year and it would not be fun. There's so many, there's so much college football out there. There's so many teams. There's so many good teams that limiting it to four, is, is a travesty. Um, I think, I think it needs to be expanded, but with that, well, um,
1: let me, let me add one more thing, Hummer, and it's, it's important. I don't think we fully put a bow on it, but when you talked about the fact that Luke fickle is leveraging the success of the program, the wins of this program, the fact that we're playing on ABC frequently at this point, he's leveraging that into recruiting wins. He's building a foundation that can last for years. He's making this a sustainable college football program. And, uh, that, that is reflected in the recruiting results of this past week. I hope I don't miss any, uh, but I am I am going to list off here some of the talent that he's pulled in in the past week. Four-star wide receiver for the class of twenty-two, Randy Masters, uh, commits to Cincinnati this past week. Uh, they also got a commitment from Zakai Lawton, a three-star linebacker committing to Cincinnati. Uh, they also got a commitment from a running back from Ohio, Stephen Bird, three-star. The Luke Fickle and his staff is is just doing a hell of a job, capitalizing on their current success and what's happening on the football field. I missed one. Melvin Go- Melvin Jordan, another player that they just picked up a, uh, a commitment from for the class of twenty two. It's honestly unprecedented the level of the caliber of player they're attracting to the university, and uh, and okay. it's just a, it's a testament to what they're building here at Cincinnati.
0: And let's go through this real quick while we, while we have them up. Uh, Melvin Jordan, hard commits, right? Hard commits. This is who we got. Here's who we got uh, uh, offers from Florida state, Arizona state, Arkansas, Florida. (laughs) They had a crystal ball at, at a 50% Florida state commits to Cincinnati. Randy masters, Auburn. Arkansas, Arizona state Baylor chose Cincinnati crystal Bald as Baylor. These recruits are seeing us on TV. They're seeing us succeed. They're seeing the system and they're wanting in, they're and buying they're, in.
1: They're building great relationships with our coaching staff. Everyone knows this isn't a really a football recruiting podcast. So in terms of giving any analysis as to what these guys are bringing, I direct you to Bearcat journal, go ahead and, and read them up, read up on them on, on their site. But the point is, like Hummer said, who we're getting these players over. These are these are high D1 caliber players that are choosing to come to Cincinnati because what's happening here is exciting. What's happening here is special. and, And it's going to continue being seen on the football field. Luke Fickles here. He chose us over Michigan State. Let's just keep winning these damn football games, blowing out the competition and forcing the college football playoff committee to say no to us. All right, Hummer. We have been promising it for a long time. Let's get into some basketball talk. Let's do a little bit of some basketball preview here.
0: We then we, do... we had some news on the schedule first, didn't we? We got Tennessee. Tennessee's uh, Tennessee Tennessee's has been
1: locked in. Tennessee has been locked in. So
0: it's our second out of conference game. We have now Tennessee and Xavier on the schedule. Uh, frankly, I'll take it. Did you see? Uh, is it Bay- Baylor's number one right now this year? Right um
1: in the country preseason yeah probably i mean they're pretty loaded last season
0: uh their basketball schedule holy hell you want some cool freaking college basketball coming up here um i think they're playing gonzaga they're playing texas
1: i wish everyone could see the look i'm giving hummer right now
0: I'm just saw the schedule and I'm just like going insane. Like I'm salivating. This is where I want to be in the big 12 so bad. Oh, I'm yes. getting into the rest of their, the rest of their schedule. West Virginia well, 15. Yeah. There's Texas another Tech, benefit of dominating in college football. There's another like,
1: benefit of being a really good college football team.
0: Texas 19. Like their schedule is just unfricking real. And I want in on it.
1: <laughs> well, look, this, we started this podcast as a basketball podcast and there's a reason that Well, look, it's our basketball program has much more tradition than our football program. It's it's a prestigious basketball program, one of the 10 best in the country uh, throughout history. And frankly, when you're looking at college basketball program, what Hummer talked about earlier being a 64 team tournament or now 68 team tournament. When we evaluate our our team, we're comparing it to the best teams in the country. We're comparing it to the best teams in the country because we're going to make the same tournament as them. We're going to compete against them. And we're going to attempt to go on a run to make, make history that we were going to have a chance at that in college basketball, college football is so exclusionary. You just don't. So it feels different. It feels less important. Luke Fickle's changing that, but basketball is we're in a place now where John Brandon is completely shifting the culture of this program to a new style of offense, a new, a new type of player, uh, a new vibe around the program. This is not Bob Huggins basketball teams. This is not, certainly not, Mick Cronin's basketball teams. We are entering a completely new era, and it's being reflected into just how you see and hear and, and watch these players play. It's gonna be different. I, I like a lot of it. There's some things that I, that I have questions on, but let's get into it by talking about the players who are returning to the Bearcats, hitting on what we saw from them last season, maybe where we'd like to see them go this season, Hopes for them, roles for them on the team. And uh, we'll take it from there, Hummer. I mean, we could give the folks a recap of where we were last season. I don't know that it's all that necessary. Bearcats finished 20 and 10, had a pretty rough non conference schedule where we lost some games, started 7 and 5, finished the season 13 and 5 in the conference, finished first in the conference, tied first with uh, a couple other programs that need not be named here, and actually got the number one seed in the American Athletic conference tournament, which I would say technically qualified us for the NCAA tournament for the 10th consecutive year. There wasn't a tournament. So maybe we don't get credit.
0: I don't give us credit because we knew we had to win that tournament to get in, but that's, that's a whole other point. You're also missing the biggest stat: uh, Keith Williams on average per game outscored Trey Scott, uh, which you know, that, that season getting canceled really won you that crown. I know you were getting nervous. Had we had four extra games in that season? Uh, we were on the verge of, uh, of a, of a comeback, but that brings us into our first returning player, or we want to go, well, we want to go, you want to go reverse order.
1: I want to go reverse order in terms of maybe so, lowest, we start highest expectations. I, I did want to mention that the players that we lost, that won't be coming back this season include Jaron Cumberland, Trey Scott, Javen Cumberland, and Chris McNeil. There are a couple other players that played on the team last season that won't be joining us, but when you quit midseason, you don't get acknowledged. So, first returning player for this coming season, and apologies to our walk-ons, apologies to Sam Martin, Rob Banks, Adam Cook. We are not diving deep, but we hope our our victory cigars are used more this season than they were last. And Hummer, I'm going to ask you Going into the season, I want to make sure that you are equipping yourself appropriately. I want each of us to have a stash of nice, uh, indulgent cigars to enjoy during game nights in which our victory cigars, our human victory cigars, are actually used. Hmm. So when Sam Martin enter, enters the game, Rob Banks, Adam Cook, when they get in the game, the stogies get lit up. Fair?
0: Fair. I can tell you right now that my go-to stogie is a a flathead, a flathead flathead cigars those those are our plugins this week i uh, appreciate their sponsorship yeah uh, <laughs> i <laughs> need recommendations shafts. i'm not i'm not a stogie yeah.
1: guy myself but that's a, it the, really I'm, depends
0: it depends on what you look if you want the mild cigar you know you want uh, something a little nice and smooth you want something maybe a little a little spicier you know the, a little different flavor if you're drinking it with the nice bourbon it, you can't go wrong um but yes, I think I can. I can handle that request. I have a humidor in my office. I keep a a stash on hand at all times. Uh, I even have in my lower shelf a nice, always with me bottle of <laughs> bourbon. Not drinking that. Time Very there, classy.
1: Please. So hopefully we'll be letting up letting up stokies all season. We'll be enjoying the bourbons. Anyway, moving on. Let's get into our first returning player to discuss, Jeremiah. Davenport. He's returning as a sophomore. His freshman season, he, he played sparingly, I would say. That's how I would describe Jeremiah's first year. In the offseason, before the season started, he was recovering from knee surgery. He actually injured, uh, had another knee injury about midway through the season, maybe a little more than midway. So he didn't play a ton, didn't play incredibly consistent minutes. But if there's one thing we learned about Jeremiah last season, it is that he is the most energetic. And confident player in Bearcats history. Do you agree?
0: <sighs> that game against Memphis
1: brought it. That was his signature <laughs> moment of his freshman season. Absolutely, the break um, on the dunk.
0: Why can't I think about it? Who's the Who's the player on Memphis?
1: Uh, Prince. It was Prince, Prince Achua.
0: Prince Prince Achua went and traded up, smacked Davenport's ball away, and he wasn't having any of it. He's like, he, he charged right back at him.
1: Yeah. Well, there was, he actually got posterized by Prince. Uh, it was, it was vicious. Like there's no, there's no other Gross. way around it. It was a disgusting facial and Jeremiah came back down the court, incredibly confident, took it right at him and scored a bucket. So that's the kind of player we had last season. He's, he's the guy who has a rational confidence. I like it. I'd much rather have a guy who's all about the team, all about supporting his teammates has all the confidence in the world and his abilities, now, what we need to see from him in the coming season is for those abilities to catch up. And hopefully, that's with more health. Hopefully, that's a, with a full season of college level conditioning and training. But during this freshman season, he shot 33% from the field and only 14% from three. However, 76% free throw shooter. So that will typically correlate to being able to actually shoot from the outside. It was clear that Jeremiah is going to have plenty of opportunities to shoot open shots on our offense. The ball rotated to him. He's always off open, and he did not hesitate to pull the trigger. If he can get that three point percentage up, he has a valuable role on this team because it's six, seven, probably pushing two, fifteen 15 now in terms of weight. He could be, you could easily see him being a Rashad Bishop type player for the Bearcats, where he can knock down open shots, he could make the right pass. He's a smart offensive player, not necessarily someone you go to in terms of isolation and getting you a bucket, but he can make a shot. And if he can do that and pair that with top level defense, which his you know, physical profile would let you know he could do well, you might have a a, a really solid contributor on your hands.
0: I mean, he's definitely one of the players that's a, you know, we're going to have a lot of these actually. So I can't say one of them. We're going to have a lot of these. We're going to have a lot of freshmen from last year who we're going to see increase their role. We're going to need to see that, that call it the sophomore leap. You know, typically it's that junior year that we're seeing it, but we're expecting that out of some of the players. Um, so I think you're spot on there with Jeremiah, da- Jeremiah Davenport. We should see his role uh, increase, his usage increase a, a, quite a bit because he did show that when he did get some some significant minutes, he could be dangerous. He, he had a couple games where he had a, a good amount of rebounds because he comes in with that, that energy. Uh, he can knock down the, the, the free throw, which is obviously always good. Um, you know, he had a couple of games where he, he scored some outside six, six, uh, you know, six to, to eight, eight buckets a game. Not bad, but who's got next? Points. Yeah. Well,
1: we, we'll we go next. The, the last thing I'll say about Jeremiah is I think it's going to be tough for him. I don't necessarily see him as a primary rotation guy for, for John Brandon. If you look at the construction of our team, it's very, it's very guard and big man heavy. So he is unique in that he has a, you know, the wing, the classic wing profile. That's not common on this team. But you'll see, given the depth of our guards, given the depth of our backcourt and frontcourt, we'll see how John Brandon deploys Jeremiah Davenport. And I think it largely comes down to, can he make a shot? If he can, he's going to see the court. Moving on, our next player, the very polarizing Zach Harvey. You want to kick us off with some initial thoughts on Zach?
0: Uh, this is a make-or-break-it year for for Zach Harvey, in my opinion. Uh, not Not from, like, anything that, like, Brannon or the, or the, from the cast perspective, more along the lines of that, he's a player that I think needs or wants to have, I should say he wants to have not needs to have, he wants to have a breakout year. Zach Harvey's is a player that wants to show that he deserves to be on the court for a significant amount of the game. Uh, and if we don't see that, or if he, if that doesn't get accomplished this year, he's a target because of our, our we have a huge recruiting class that we just brought in uh, there's a lot of people fighting for minutes. He's a target that I could see on on the transfer block if he doesn't have that that type of season that he wants. But that being said, he's capable of having that season. We saw explode we, we saw him kind of like struggle at the beginning of the year last year. We saw him kind of start to get into his zone, pick up the speed of the game. Uh, but then we're hearing some stuff coming out of out of practice and you know that we kind of maybe hinted at it last week or a couple of weeks ago that he's challenging. Um, he's competing with, with, uh, with Keith Williams in practice, he's not backing down. Um, he's taking it with like a chip on his shoulder. What, what have you heard?
1: Well, let's get, I want to get into what we're hearing from practice. I'll just want to add a little bit of context to what we saw last season. So Harvey comes in as a top 50 recruit. If you remember, we kind of pulled him into the fold last minute, he actually had offers rescinded from some other major programs due to some off-court issues. Those haven't bubbled up at all. Honestly, there's no, there's no real red flags in terms of behavior. He just struggled in his, his freshman season. And a lot of that has been attributed to his ankle. He had reconstructive ankle surgery before the season started. Didn't ever quite look right. Didn't look as explosive as you hear he is. Uh, struggled with his jumper a bit, you know, only shot 54% from the free throw line and 31% from three toward the end of the season, though, he did start dialing it in. He was a bit more reliable, though. I would not call him reliable. He showed flashes. So that was the, the, the word I would use for Zach Harvey's freshman year was flashes. Can he turn that into a more productive, more live up to that top 50 ranking in second year? That is the big question for Zach Harvey. Um, I did poke around to see if we could get some information about how he's looked so far in practice, who's jumping off. So Zach Harvey is one of the guys that was jumping off the page before official practices started. He and Keith Williams, like you said, going back and forth, incredibly intense. Uh, One of those moments actually led into a bit of a physical altercation. I'm not going to call it necessarily a fight, uh, but it did lead to a physical altercation just based on the physicality of practice. And that's good to hear. I actually like hearing that, Keith Williams is coming back for his senior season. He's obviously the alpha dog on the team. And Zach Harvey, uh, a guy who definitely has high expectations for himself, has a bit of a pedigree as a younger player on the team is going to challenge him and is going to bring it physically going to bring it emotionally. If Zach Harvey's invested to that level, if he's bringing that type of intensity practice in practice out, I would expect to see a more reliable and more, heavily used Zach Harvey in year two. I think that's a, he's kind of the wild card for the Bearcats and that if he takes off and takes a major leap forward, it, it changes the dynamics of what our expectations are.
0: I agree. And I want to see him do well too, because of the, when you hear of what, what he's capable of, what you saw, those flashes that you mentioned, if you see those flashes on a sustained basis, I mean, it's, it's scary what he's able what I think he's going to be able to accomplish. Um, I just think it is important that this is the year he's going to want to see it. Um, you know, there's nothing, I don't think there's any way of sugar, sugarcoating it just because of the talent that we have on this team, the minutes that everybody's fighting for, you know, there's going to be players that are going to look that to, to look elsewhere for their minutes and if Zach doesn't get them. I, I think that's him, but I, I truly think that this is the year if he, if we're here, what we're hearing is true that he is trying to rise to the occasion. He's trying to say, hey, I am better than what, I, what happened last year. Uh, I want those minutes. And so if he gets them, th- this kid's going to be unstoppable.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's really a question of can he earn the minutes or not? If he's going to be reliable you know, on defense, if he's going to knock down shots consistently, it's going to be hard to keep him off the
0: floor, not on. Um, exactly. And that's what we'll, that's what we want to see, and that's kind of what I think we're hoping to see. Well, if we're talking expectations, we're, we're, we have high expectations for Zach Harvey this year. Mm -hmm. And I want that to be clear for everybody. I'm not trying to dog on. We have high expectations for him, just like he has them on himself. That's what we're, we're, I think we're expecting to see.
1: Well, he showed moments of brilliance last season. There was different. He, the way he's able to get into the lane and then flip a flip across court pass one handed to open shooters. It was different than what you see from some of the other players on our team. So the raw talent is extremely evident. Now it's, can he just convert it into real productivity? And if he does, Bearcats are a top two team in the conference, as
0: far as I'm concerned. Uh, top team in the conference, okay? We're not John rosty here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the next player we'll get into, one of my personal favorites, a lefty, Micah Adams-Woods. He earned the starting point guard role after a few games last season when it became evident that Chris McNeil simply was not up to the task. And all you could... The word I would use to describe Micah Adams Woods' first season, let's just call him uh, Maul's first season or Shuey's first season, I would use reliable. He was just a reliable freshman point guard. You need an open three knockdown, Micah's got you. Do you need some good defense? Micah's got you. That's probably the biggest asset he has is how long he is as a point guard. He's 6'3", but probably has a wingspan, 6'7", 6'8". He's an incredible defender. And I think coming into this season, John Brandon really has his his set his sight set on Micah being one of the best, if not the best, defender on the team this season.
0: Well, Brandon's always said it. What's the best way for a freshman to get on the court? Play good defense. Uh, he he mentioned that in several of his press conferences. Mike Adams would certainly did that, but he also, in my opinion, he he played at a level that wasn't wasn't expected in a sense that he's a freshman. I think he did a good job of limiting the mistakes. Um, he he did a good job in that in that role of what he needed to do. I think this year is going to be a year that's going to be a little bit more challenging for him in a sense that I think he's going to have he's going to have more competition at that point guard position. Uh, in other words, a, a guy that we're not really going to talk about too much today, but with with the Julius on the on the squad. Well, you have to imagine that he's immediately going to see playing time to Julius's, especially with the gushing we've heard from Brandon so far about him. So I think Mike Adams Woods is going to have to step it up if he wants to get as m- many minutes as he did last season. Otherwise, I think you're going to see kind of uh, in my opinion, I think we're going to see a lot of what Brandon did last year when he switched out whole teams. I think we're going to see that. And I think Mike is going to be leading one of those squads.
1: Here's what I'll say. Zach Harvey last season averaged just under nine minutes a game. Last season, Micah Adams Woods averaged almost—it looks like he almost averaged 22 minutes a game. So on average, Micah Adams Woods played more than half a game. To yeah. me, coming into this season, he is the favorite to be this the starting two guard. Let's say I just—we'll call him part of the starting backcourt with David DeJulius. I think that not because of his upside necessarily. I do think that he is—he's a guy who could take a leap. Does he have more of a right hand this season? Can he get into the lane court more consistently? Is he more confident? He shot 37% from three last season. That's a really high percentage. So when he's you not bad. His, no, he's not <laughs> bad. He's really good. If Micah Adams-Woods is, is shooting well again this season, John Brandon already knows he can rely on this guy to execute the defensive game plan, and he already views him as an elite-level defender. So when you look at in terms of what's our starting lineup going to be, to me, it's a pretty easy call that I would expect – or I would put Micah as the favorite, the odds-on favorite to be the starting uh, guard next to David DeJulius at this, as the season begins.
0: Are you not putting Keith Williams in a guard spot?
1: I'm I'm saying like the pure backcourt positions will be David DeJulius and Micah Adams-Woods, and Keith will essentially be the three. Now he's only six five, so it's hard to call him like a, a quote-unquote small forward, but essentially Keith Williams will be the other starting guard on the team. It'll be a three-guard, two-big lineup, I imagine. Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time.
0: Yeah. I'm actually trying to go through it and thinking about, cause we're going to have mostly, well, I think there's going to be two players in the starting lineup that are not returning players. I think it's going to be rap. And I think we're going to have the Julius. Yes. I think you're going to see, see those two. And then I think the, the fourth spot, I don't really, I don't know. I haven't seen them play together, but with the height that Rappelis brings, I don't know. Do you see him and Chris vote playing a lot together? Oh, I think they'll be
1: the starting, I think they'll be the starting front court. I think that Rapalus wants and sees himself as a starting four. I think he's probably going to operate outside of the paint. Primarily he can extend to three point range and Chris vote's going to occupy the center position. And, and if the torn, if the injured shoulder played a role, if the lack of conditioning to be a 25, 30 minute per game player played a role, a lot of folks are expecting big things from Chris vote. He is huge. And so if he can step up his rebounding rate, if he can step up his ability to contest shots at the rim, then it makes sense to start him. But I, I, I think I, I think the most that's... important
0: thing he needs to do is is the passing. Once he gets the ball down low and, and, and realizing sure. that there's outlets. For sure. This, yeah, this team's going to be surrounded by shooters with him. And now that you're saying that, I'm kind of looking at the lineup and what, what I would think. And I'm mm-hmm. saying Keith, DeJulius, Rapalus with vote, with either Harvey or Wood.
1: Squirrel. Let's down track here with our, uh, our, <laughs> our our player preview. Uh, let's let's move on here to Mamadou Diara, a podcast favorite or at least of mine. Mamadou last season was exceptional, especially at the last three quarters of the season. I would say at the beginning of last season, he looked a bit like uh, I think we described it actually as a chicken with his head cut off. There were times when he just didn't look like he knew what the rotations were. He wasn't sure of this new system. And then all of a sudden it just clicked into place and he became incredibly effective for the Bearcats. Finished the season averaging 10 minutes per game. Shot 71% from three-point land. Absolutely dynamic from three last season. Good rebounding rate. Obviously, the best front court defender that we have on the team, uh, with tar with um, Trey Scott leaving. So I think Mamadou is easily going to be our best defensive option at the four or five position. And when you factor that defensive ability in and pair that with his shooting ability to me, this is the guy I want to see figure out a way to get more minutes per game. uh, Because I thought his impact was exceptional last season when he was on the court.
0: I mean, when you're, when you're, I think his career, uh, three point percentage here is close to 60 something percent. (laughs) I know I'm being facetious there. I mean, he does, he makes them. What's when, when he had the opportunity, he made them maybe it's something that you do want to see more opportunity because i think if i'm not mistaken brandon says if you hit 33 of them in practice you can shoot them whenever you want out on the court um he gives you a green light in that sense mamadou obviously has the green light because he's, he's taking the shots, so he hits them in practice i think you're going to see him using that versatile role but i'm kind of looking at him also as being the rebounder I'm looking at him because he brings a phenomenal amount of energy and his ability to get into the paint quickly on in, on a rebound and break break past the defenders boxing out. It's, is tremendous. I'm looking at him because to replace some of those rebounds we missed from Trey Scott.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a collective team effort. I don't know if it's going to be any one guy, but he's certainly going to be relied upon for it. You know, the joke on, on the team is that Mamadou Diara sees himself as Kevin Durant. He sees himself more as a wing player. <laughs> the fact is the Bearcats need him to, I think we're best when he's a center or when he's playing in that front court type position. The reason I love him on the court and I can't wait to see him paired with the legs of Rapalus is that that's going to create an offensive lineup when you can spread the court around. Let's say, I mean, let's say the lineup is David DeJulius, Micah Adams, Woods, Keith Williams, Mamadou, and Rapalus. All five of those players can go beyond the three-point line. Now, when you spread the offense out like that, who has room to get to the basket? Keith Williams. We joked about it with our on our last podcast with Justin Williams, but honestly, that's the environment in which Keith Williams is going to thrive. If you surround him with shooting and put threats at every position, we're going to be unguardable with the amount of ball handling and athleticism we're going to have on the court during all 40 minutes. When you factor, when you think about Mike Saunders, David DeJulius, Micah Adams, Woods, Harvey uh, Williams, these guys all can beat their man off the dribble, or so we think it's going to be, it's going to uh, really put pressure on Brandon to, to find a role for Diarra because I think he pairs extremely well with that because he's very low usage.
0: I mean, you, you said it all. <laughs> uh, he's, he's something to be excited about for sure. Yeah. Um, he, he was really starting to really find his game at the end of the season. He was becoming a key contributor. Uh, you know, he, it was definitely a, If you went from most improved player last year from the beginning of season to the end of the season, that award, in my opinion, goes to Mamadou Diara. Agreed. No doubt about it. He went, like you said, looking flustered to just really finding where he belonged on that team. Um, And it seemed like every time he came in too, he's he's one of the energy guys. He's one of the guys who comes in and he he lifts up the spirits of everybody on the team. Um, And frankly, he gives some of the best interviews. (laughs) He he really does. I'm looking forward to him having good games because I want to see some more Mamadou post-game press conferences
1: definitely one of the more charismatic players on the team well in the front court another returning player this time senior season transferred here last season from nku fan favorite i think maybe not a fan favorite pretty polarizing player i'd say uh chris vote returns after having originally declared for the nba he decided to come back to cincinnati for his senior season Last season, Hummer, he averaged 28 minutes a game. I, b- I mentioned that before. That actually is probably too many minutes per game for Chris Vogt, and not in a bad way. Just in a hey, you're six, you're seven, one, 260. That's tough to carry around for heavy minute loads. Maybe reducing his minutes a little bit and taking a bit of the burden off actually helps him. But he shot 65% from the field, struggled from the free throw line, about six rebounds per game, almost two blocks per game, and finished with 11 points. What do you think this season uh, going into the season for Chris vote?
0: Well, I mean, you would expect the field goal percentage to stay the same one because of the types of shots he's shooting. He does not shoot the ball if he's within outside three feet of the basket. And you know what? That is perfect. I actually don't want to see him shooting the ball from outside that range. If anything, I want to say what we've been saying all all offseason. I want to see an improvement in his in his vision for when passing the ball because we noticed at the end of the season or not even at the end of the season once we got the conference play they the script had been written on chris vote double team him and that's what teams did and if that's going to be the case this year if that's going to be the same playbook that they're going to go to with the amount of shooters that we have it's going to lead for some incredible open shots that are just going to send well an empty fifth arena into a frenzy Uh, (laughs) So I really do want to see that. I want to see his, I want to see his vision get better. I want to see him be able to, to be a reason why the court gets bigger for us uh, in terms of just open shots, open ability, moving the ball around. Um,
1: Well, that's one of the things John Brandon alluded to in his interview with Dan Hort is that Chris votes passing has gone up a level and maybe that's just with more familiarity with the offense, more experience, but if it is going up a level, it takes away the option of the double team because there's going to be too much talent outside of Chris vote. That if you double him and he gets to open shooters or open, uh, just open driving kicks, it's, it spells doom for the opposing defense. Look at the final five games for Chris vote and you, it kind of encapsulates the late season struggles conference play was not kind to him. Uh, but in the final five games, his point totals were seven, two, two, six, four rebound totals were six, four, seven, three, four, um, And then obviously his minute totals in those games actually were respectably 30, 35, 31, 23, and 15. So as those final two games of the season, South Florida and Temple, that was really one of those interesting moments when John Brandon decided to lean more, lean more heavily on Mamadou Diara. That could have been just pure wear and tear for Chris vote. It could have been the matchup, but it was an interesting dynamic shift where, it opened things up for our wings a lot and our defense actually improved as well. Because again, Mamadou Diara is an exceptional defensive player. So going into the season, I think the challenge is twofold for Chris vote. A, like you said, when the double teams come, can you punish the defense with quick passes and then B defensively? Can you hold up? Can you rebound defensively and close out those possessions? And can you move your feet well enough to guard Uh, basketball players who more and more are starting to stretch out to the three point line. Time will tell. I think it's an extreme, extremely good luxury to have a player of Chris's size and skill around the basket. It's unique. You don't see a ton of big men like him anymore. Um, I think it really is going to come down to how does John Brannon want to use him this coming season?
0: Well, I think last year too, we saw a lot of the post play post up, you know, it was the, the game plan was post up throw the ball to Chris vote and he lays it in. Right. That's when the team started to double team, and what we also noticed is when that happened, Chris Vote would tend to put the ball on the floor, and when Chris Vote put the ball on the floor, bad things happened. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious if that's going to be another area of his game where they maybe work on on ways of getting him open that don't rely on him. Just maybe trying to take advantage of purely of a size size matchup. Um, yeah, so that that's curious to me. And the other thing too, you mentioned when when they weren't playing Chris Vote they they did rely on Mamadou I think on a wing as more because they were playing Trey Scott at the 5 uh, when we were watching his minutes decrease and it was something that we had said we wanted to see so Chris vote is pivotal pivotal to the success I think of this year's of this year's squad uh, I think that's 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 something that can't be understated he's going to have to do these things in order for us to be successful uh, we're not going to be able to just rely on him standing down on the, on the post and, and us just tr- forcing the ball into him and not having him being able to, to, to throw the quick outlet pass when he gets double teamed.
1: Well, there weren't a ton of front court options last season. You have to remember there was a, a gentleman by the name of Jay Sarola who quit the team mid season. And that left the front court rotation is Chris Vogt, Mamadou Diara and Trey Scott. Not much behind them. There weren't many options and this season. John, Brannon has has replenished the cupboard. There's Chris Vote, there's Mamadou, there's Rapolis. there's Tari Eason, there's Jeremiah Jeremiah Davenport as potentially small four. Uh, there's potentially going four guard lineups. The the options are much more robust this season for John Brannon. I didn't mention Victor Lock in there by the way either because Victor Lockin is someone I clearly see redshirting. Uh, mm-hmm. But the point is, it's a much deeper roster. There's a lot more there's a lot more interesting decisions to be made by Brandon because there's a lot more interesting players on the team. It's just, a deeper, def, it's a
0: deeper team. The death's definitely there. I also just don't see like mama playing the five is a way different type of five than what Chris vote is playing. They have right. two very different styles of, of game. And and the same thing with rap two very different styles where like you mentioned, Chris vote is a rarity. in the fact that he is a, he is a old school center just a very large body very difficult to to guard if you're not close to his size close to his height he can have he can bully you down low he can and what i'm saying is i want to see some bullying down low still i want to see us do that but i want to see chris vote catch the ball recognize the double team immediately and be able to get the ball out to the open man that's what i want to see because that's how i think we're going to utilize him best Is by drawing the offense, drawing defenders into the paint on him. We—that's what I say. He needs to become that force, and that's going to be pivotal for this team having a lot of success and being able to play different styles of ball when we have different personnel groups in.
1: If Chris Vuk punishes single coverage and can attract double coverage, our offense should crush with him on the court. Whether we can defend, TBD. Let's (laughs) let's move to our to our final player here, Um, the star of the show this season, Keith Williams. Another guy who had declared for the NBA draft and and frankly, I think had a much stronger case for consideration. We talked to Cameron Pern earlier this year about his draft prospects and he saw him more as kind of a fringe second round, maybe G league player, you know, definitely maybe in in a non COVID year, he may have left. Uh, But given the fact that he couldn't get workouts in front of teams, I think it made a lot of sense to come back to the Bearcats. And this year, Keith Williams is basically going to be the star of the show. Um, Obviously it's probably going to be a much more um, shared democratic type offensive system. We lost Jaron Cumberland who has been hijacking the usage rate for the Bearcats for three seasons. And I I don't mean hijack in a bad way that he Jaron Cumberland was awesome with the ball in his hands this season. I don't know if we have anybody who needs to have in their ball, the ball in their hands that much to be at their best. And we probably won't be at our best in that capacity, but Keith Williams comes back off of easily his best season as a Bearcat, as a junior, averaging just under 12 points a game. Sorry, just under 13 points a game uh, over a steal, almost five boards. His shooting percentages are what jump out most to me. Three-point percentage went from 27.6 to 34.2, and his free throw percentage went from 70 to 79.2. Those are important details, because if he's shooting better and takes another leap, he is that much more deadly for the Bearcats as a senior.
0: I'm glad you said that because I was like looking for three-point stats, and
1: <clears throat>
0: I was mistakenly looking at the last three games. So when you're reading that off, I'm like, wait a minute. That's not 50%. That's not 50%. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious.
1: No, Keith, here's, here's something about Keith Williams I noticed last year. He does get in foul trouble. Look at the last – if you look at the game log for the last five games, he got four fouls in all four of the last four games, let alone five.
0: Three and somewhat, then three in the yeah.
1: Yeah, he, he does tend to pick up ticky-tack fouls. And I think that goes back to the attention to detail that John Brandon alludes to with him. Where are you staying fully engaged for 40 minutes? Are you being a top lockdown defender for 40 minutes? Keith Williams is the ultimate, I forgot you were out there, guy. Last season, I did much less forgetting that he was out there. He made his presence felt. We all remember him dunking on two Memphis players. To complete that comeback at home at fifth third arena. He's an exceptional athlete, probably the most exciting player on the team from a, from a, a, just a playmaking standpoint, be it strong finishes at the rim or steals or blocks. It's all about, can Keith Williams have that classically amazing senior season for the Cincinnati Bearcats?
0: Well, I can tell you, it's not one that I'm willing to bet you anything on because I think he's going to have that season, and I don't think it's going to be any contest of who's who's challenging him. Uh, Little, for the uh, number Chris Vogt
1: versus Keith Williams, PPG.
0: <laughs> no? no, no, I'm scared on that one. You got me running. Um, no, I think it. I think the more interesting matchups are going to be, you know, when we get to next week and we're talking about, you know, not only the the players that we're going to have coming in that are transfers. But our freshman class is very intriguing as well. So I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about them. Uh, Keith Williams. He's like you said, he's going to be a stud. The, I think he's, I'm willing to, I'm wanting to see if he thrives in that role of being in charge of the offense. I want to see him to see if, if South Florida was an anomaly or if that's what we get to look forward to. You know, just these these awesome games where he just puts up some some just some some schooling when it comes to shooting when you're wide open, taking the taking the lane, taking the lane when you have it. I really want to see if if that's the norm or if it's more like UCF. Um, we had a great game against the loss of UCF with 17 points. I want to see where we're going to get. Um, and I'm 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 hoping it's one of those transcendent senior seasons for him.
1: Yeah, that USF game, second to last game of the season, is the model for it. what what it might look like post Jaron Cumberland. Jaron Cumberland missed that game with an injury, and we saw the second half Keith Williams absolutely torched the Bulls. Yeah. Uh, it, it it was just a, it was a clinic on getting to the rim, finishing at the rim, hitting shots out of this world. Experience. I don't expect that every game by any means, but that's the model for a successful Keith Williams season. Will he have the usage rate of Jaron Cumberland? no should he no but he's going to be surrounded by a lot more talent than i think jaron was his senior season if there's anybody on this team who's going to play more than 30 minutes per game i think it's keith williams but even last season he averaged 28.8 i'd say he probably would have averaged 30 minutes per game had he not been in foul trouble he averaged almost three fouls per game so if he cuts back on fouls if he can stay in the game stay disciplined He's probably the one guy you can rely upon to be a thirty-minute per game guy. Otherwise, this is that kind of team. This is the kind of team that maybe you don't have anybody over thirty minutes per game because it's that deep and it's that well-rounded. And John Brandon sees the benefit in having fresh players out there, forty minutes a game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I that's where I'm. I'm really. I'm just. Uh, I'm really wishing that the basketball season was it was supposed to start like three days ago, right? Supposed to start.
1: Uh, well, it's supposed to start about two weeks from now. So I, I hope I know, we but originally do, I hope we before that, though, that
0: we were, we were supposed to be playing basketball, I think already, um, you know, at least getting some exhi- exhibition games in. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate. We don't get to see at least some of the ideas of what these rotations are going to look like. Um, but it certainly is exciting. Keith Williams is going to be obviously the player to have your eye on. I think you're right. That is the model of what we can see like you say you're not going to see the usage rates out of him as, as high as we did jaron cumberland because this team is so well-rounded but that is a good thing we we are in a good spot to not have one player uh who we're basically relying on to win us the game we have a a team that can win us the game and not only that i think we have teams within the team that can win us the game and and chris or keith williams is just a key to that uh i'm expecting his his points per game to, to skyrocket this year though um, I'm. I don't know if I'm being too too aggressive here or not. So we'll see by your your reaction. Um, I I want to see him get into like the 17 points per game.
1: I like it. I don't think that's completely irrational. I think if he gets to 17 points per game, um, it's a good sign. It's a good sign of Keith Williams is up around that mark. That means consistent minutes. That means disciplined performances. That means good shot making. Um, it's also not too many points. It's weird to say that, but I don't think he's going to be that high usage. I don't think that we're just going to be putting the ball in his hands and saying, go make something happen. I think it's going to be a pretty democratic offense. I think you're going to see a team with several guys scoring close to or over 10 points per game. And I think that's ideally what John Brandon wants. I think he wants a team with with multiple threats. That means you're not going to see one guy in that 20-point-per-game in that range. That's a good thing. I think it's good to be well-balanced, but I think Keith Williams is the likely favorite to be the high points per game man this season.
0: Well, folks, you've heard it there. That's a good thing. And that means that it is a great time to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan.